Would you rather swim in Ren Lake at night by yourself no. or or head to an abandoned garage at night by yourself? No. One more option. You have to pick between the three. Take the garbage out at the local coffee shop by yourself at night. The lake, the coffee shop, the abandoned garage. Coffee Go. shop. Because you like coffee. Yeah. Plus, I could have a knife or something. Just don't drink so much coffee that you get a killer headache like Emma gave Will. She had it coming. She had it coming. See what I did there? The headache yeah, that I you see. gave Will? Yeah, I know. It's head split in two. Yeah. Come on, it's so clever. <laughs> Give me my vindication, goddammit. This is your Noah Foster imposter reciting a soliloquy from Noah Foster. The legit shit Noah Foster, that is. Hey guys, this is Noah Foster, local student and survivor of the Lakewood Slasher Murders, guest podcasting the final chapter of Autopsy of a Crime. For your former host, the now-deceased criminal mastermind behind the killings, Piper Shaw. So, having made it to the end of our very own slasher movie, I think we're all just processing what we've lost and how to move on. Staring death in the face has a way of making you want to be a little more forgiving. Maybe we'll find that the loss of someone we loved may lead to the promise of someone new. Maybe we'll see this as a second chance to do things differently and make a change for the good. Red Devil, you seem to have a real knack for forgiving people. Is there anything that you would do differently if you had a second chance? It's a yes-no question. Oh my god, that's a deep question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the answer is yes for right. everyone. Well, no. See, I have sadly met people, a slew of individuals, in fact. It's kind of that bohemian, hippie, commie, living off the land, communal mentality of no regrets. Mm-hmm. I don't have any regrets. And you're like, wait, what about the time where you, you snorted crack cocaine and then you stole that Ferrari and drove it into a police station? And you know what they say? Well, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I'm like a person that got high as shit and drove a stolen vehicle into a police station. So I think that a normal person says, yeah, I fucked up a lot. It's like, the guy that you know is Bobby from Supernatural, but he's Ellsworth and Deadwood. And he's like, I may have fucked my life up flatter than hammered horse shit. Honest. Well, I do subscribe to, even though I wish I could change things and have made different decisions at different points in my life, I also do have some of the mentality where I'm like, well, I'm glad that I did walk through that or you know, that decision kind of led me to my circumstance now. So I guess I'm right in the middle. I'm in the middle between the hippies and then whatever the antithesis of that would be. The realist. Back to the real Noah Foster. Or to wipe the slate clean and reinvent ourselves as someone new. At the end of the day, we're all just grateful that it's over and that the Lakewood Slasher is dead. But there's still one thing I can't figure out. He asks a very good question here. Piper Shaw confessed to her crimes in classic villain fashion. But she didn't explain who attacked her and Will Belmont in that abandoned building. I mean, sure, she could have banged herself on the head and made up the story, but Will confirmed it later. Much as I love a good Hollywood ending, I can't help but wonder who was wearing the mask that night. Am I just overthinking it? Or is there more to come? (gasps) Dun dun dun! From what we've seen, it has to be Audrey, right? Because Audrey, we learned at the very end, was doing a pen pal correspondence swap with Piper, snide Piper, 
and she has been acting a little shady. Well, and why didn't the killer kill her at Brick's house? Why didn't the killer kill her? Why did the killer just slash her arm, which Noah so deftly recognized as not the killer's M.O.? I also think it's interesting that A.J., Audrey Jensen, pumped around into Piper right before Piper was going to finish her thought that would likely have a colon after it. You'll never see it coming. Boom! She gets shot. Bitch talks too much, says Audrey. Lastly, this dialogue here between Emma and Piper at the grand reveal. I'm here, just like you wanted. No more games. No more masks. Fogo's face takes the mask off, revealing Piper. Hey, sis. Surprise. Piper? Oh, I seriously wish that you could see your face right now. Hashtag mind blown. No, you can't be. I can. So when we were bonding about your dad being murdered, you were talking about Brandon James? Yes. And you were so easily convinced that it had to be his son that was swinging the knife. But it's 2015, Emma. Sexist much? This is an interesting reveal because I understand why Piper would lie. One of the last things that Piper said to Emma was, Mrs. James actually identified Kieran, not Seth Branson, as Brandon James' child. Well, that makes sense. But the only thing I don't understand is, why did Mrs. James, when they were visiting her, say Brandon had a son? Maggie never knew the sex of the baby, but Mrs. James said that he had a son. I guess the takeaway is that she's not right in her noggin. She's demented, right? She's wrong. Yeah, or it's just a plot hole. Because we have to move the plot along. And we have to cast suspicion, which they did so expertly. On well, yes, but then Kieran. Well, at this point, one thing we know for sure is that Piper Shaw is the biological blood child of Brandon James. Nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Greetings, dreamy screamers! Welcome to the last episode of the first season of Scream the TV series Faux Ghost Space, an episodic autopsy companion series to Scream the TV series. This twill serve as the season one concluding chapter episode. While we are saddened, and we are saddened, by the end of such a stellar and satisfying season, the silver knife blade tipped, lining, lies in the knowledge that there is more in store, and Emma's mom is still a foolish fucking whore. <laughs> it's so Why fun. are you so mean to Maggie? It's so fun making fun of Maggie. This is where we scalpel deep and surgically critique this shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Today, we will cut a devilishly delectable slice of the Scream the TV series Carnage Confection with our 10th Season 1 finale, Faux Ghostface Review of Episode 10, Rev-a-lations. The good news here is that Season 2, I believe, might even be superior to the first season. Time will tell. Do you vividly remember? Well, I do remember it opens in a movie theater, which is Always awesome. Also, an homage to Scream 2, the movie. Emma, Maggie, Piper, and we stand atop the dock overlooking 
the vast black pockets of Ren Lake, and collectively spot a shipwrecked treasure of a television show worth pursuing and exploring. Though often proving a blood-red herring, our tireless quest is occasionally rewarded with the indelible gem of a stellar and rewarding television treat. Scream, the TV series, carries the torch of that very same treat. You are our dreamy screamers, for you are dreamy in your scream, and scream deep within your dreams. Also, I will have you know that one of the main motifs of Season 2 is all about dream analysis. We politely ask you to parse and ponder the following. Is it a dream within a scream, or a scream within a dream? You may not be able to escape your dream, but from Fogo's face or the snide piper, you can run, climb, and attempt to hide, but you're already dead inside. Just like poor HUD. Poor, poor HUD. R.I.P. Here, in your dreamy, dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive, for as others may be killed, gruesomely at times, you instead shall thrive, as you strive to remain alive, and to stick with those fleeting, most dropping like flies, victims to past and present lies, others still breathing who remain alive in their beloved Lakewood hive. Tick-tock of Fogo's homicidal clock at, on, and around Wren Lake's dock. Does he lie in a pool of warm blood or thick, viscous, room-temperature red wine? Either way, it's a grim F-star sign. He'll no longer whine and go home to his folks in a box made of pine. Are we up to the task? Two, the elusive, abusive, inconclusive slasher, Unmask. Faux Ghostface Killer sports an unkillable brand, a reaper's coal-black cloak, ghostly, ghastly mask, a slight white mask, and a dried blood-smeared, caught, crimson, handed. Poor humble hide. Gut cut. Taped to a tree, why the F-stars could Maggie not leave him, goddamn be. Brooke proves a tease, impossible to please, petite and rather easy to squeeze, but now her pleas are lost to a deep freeze, still dropping degrees. Oh, that was a good one. No psychiatry could cure this lethally fiery sibling rivalry. We got ourselves a survival vicarious B-girl and a know-it-all slick side dick. Brooke and Mr. B play a game of musical door locks and, to faux ghostface, Emma repeatedly goddamn talks. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to the season one finale of Faux Ghost Space. Finale! Lives end at Wren. New horrors found in episode 10. Refrigeration, mutilation, and deep freezer trouble. Malware debugger, masked mugger, and a tree hugger. It is time for serialized killer trivia. This episode will honor Wes Craven, who died of brain cancer on August 30th, 2015. Thank you, Mr. Craven, for your cinematic contributions and for your involvement in this spectacular show. If you don't know this, you should. He was a director of all of the screen movies up to this point. Jake's line, what is this, 1996, is a reference to the first screen movie, which came out that year. This is the first episode to air since the death of Scream director Wes Craven. He was an executive producer on this series. The killer is unmasked, snide Piper, in this episode. After being shot by Audrey, Piper falls into the water the same way her father, Brandon James, did. 
And of course, when Emma shoots her in the head and says they always come back, this is taken straight from Jamie Kennedy from the Scream films. The reveal of Piper as Ghostface, faux Ghostface that is, pays homage to the reveal of Roman Bridger as the killer in Scream 3. That was a very good reveal, by the way. Yeah, and I almost never remember that it's him. Like Roman, she has never actually seen being slain on screen. Although it's heavily implied, she's seriously injured, if not dead. Thus setting up the surprise twist. Body count, three. HUD, RIP. This guy at the party. The annoying guy. His name is Grayson, for what it's worth. Grayson. And Piper. The killers are revealed to be Piper and possibly Audrey. We have suspicions. Season one body count, for those of you who partake in the concept of bloodlust. Nine. Tyler O'Neill, Nina Patterson, Rachel Murray, Riley Mara, Will Belmont, Deputy Roberts. He was the dude that got gutted at the police station. Clark Hudson. Grayson Pfeiffer, Piper Shaw. Scream 10, Revelations. Daisy Bell, how stupefied, flabbergasted, discombobulated were you upon the Piper at the Rin Lake dock reveal? I was shocked. They tricked me. I really finally fully gave in to thinking it was Kieran, but I was very wrong, especially when he comes like around the corner at the house. I was like, oh no, because that's the second time at least that he's like, randomly showed up where he's not supposed to be like there's not a reason for him to be there but then he kind of reveals well it looks like emma like you texted me and then the whole like your dad's dead thing at that point i was like okay 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 i guess it's not him well and if you remember in the first scream movie skeet ulrich was the only one among them that had a pistol for a while but this is like the third time that old Kirkir has desperately tried to hand a loaded weapon to Emma, and she keeps rejecting the gun. Yeah. She's like, no, I trust you. You keep the gun. Emma, I don't know. I'm on Noah's side that there probably are two killers, because it doesn't make 100% sense. So we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. On Obviously, there's a season two, so there's going to be another killer. I just don't know. Will that killer be tied to Piper, or is it just like a copycat? So can't wait to see that. We start off, Piper is headed to the police station. Emma, of course, is still at the Halloween dance. We all now know that HUD is in imminent danger. He's tied to a fucking tree. The last thing that Piper tells Emma before she heads off to the police station, don't trust anyone. This is just like the guy in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, who tells Dr. Jones, my advice to you, Indiana Jones, is don't trust anyone, which, of course, he fails to comply with. Kieran has a gun. He's in his truck, loading a gun, looking all despondent and inconsolable. He denies Emma's phone call. We also quickly learn that somebody, faux Ghostface of course, is fucking with the cell phones. Some people are getting messages and phone calls. For example, Kieran gets this phone call from Emma. He denies it. Several of our core characters are sending messages, but they're not getting the messages. So this is a big technological fuck-up of epic proportions. Hell of a party, Brooke. Brooke walks out. The party's awesome. There's all kinds of goodies. We have lights wrapped around the tree like it's Christmas time. There's pool toys. There's probably 50 people there. There's these lit orbs by the pool that look really cool. Kind of like those fancy lights that you get by the foot and you can control them with your cell phone. Very high quality pool orb lights. Also, the music is bitchin'. But I love how Brooke, because remember, 
She has a high society reputation to uphold, but even she recognizes it's all superficial and bullshit. And she says, as she looks around the scene, she surveys everything, where the hell are my actual friends? She, of course, is referring to Emma, perhaps Jake, Audrey, who knows, but she does not care for any of the people here. Like I said, there is a breakdown in the cellular communication. The killer tells Emma on the phone at the party, oh, it's going to be a big reveal, Emma, and it's going to be gut-wrenching. Poor choice of words, as HUD has already been gutted, as we will learn in one of the season's most sinister surprises. Interestingly enough, not only do we see HUD taped to the tree, but Ghostface appears on the screen. And Ghostface has been kind of lurking in the shadows, but this is one of a few instances where Ghostface reveals themselves for all to see. And then I like how Emma is trying to escape the Halloween party, but there are sheriff deputies at every exit, and this cop stops her and Noah, and Emma just says, we go, or Sheriff Hud dies. Yeah, and Noah's like, I'd listen to her. <laughs> That's so good. Meanwhile, Maggie is wearing street clothes, and she is at the police station, surveying the scene and taking pictures of the cop that was left dead and gutted, with Branson missing. She's wearing mostly white clothing, particularly white jeans. What the shit are you thinking? But that's okay. That's okay for now. Meanwhile, Emma, of course, arrives at the police station to assist with the investigation. Emma prompts Maggie to look into additional clues that might be on the body. As if you recall, a number was cut into the back of Will. She complies and she investigates this DB's mouth, where she finds ugh, a heart locket deep in the person's throat. This is the same heart locket made of wood that she was gifted once upon a time by BJ in the tree behind the house, like Boo Radley. Little treats left in the trunk of the tree, Boo Radley style. Well, Emma says, Mom, maybe he's at that house and he's at that tree. And normally you would say something like, well, that's so convenient, isn't it? No, it's not. This show has played it very accurate as far as traipsing over ground that has already been walked. The bowling alley was significant. The coffee shop is significant. All of these different locations serve a narrative purpose. Right. It all goes back to Brandon James and really Maggie, too. Audrey is having an interesting conversation with Brooke, where Brooke says, well, Karen can't be the killer. He's too pretty. But then she immediately contradicts herself and says, but what about Ted Bundy? Hmm. Yup. Mm -hmm. The charmer of all charmers, Ted Bundy. Meanwhile, it's both funny and a gesture of douchebaggery, but this character who we've never seen before named Grayson pops up behind Brooke in a bathing suit and a faux ghost face mask. And he's like, la, 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 la. and she's like, what the hell is the matter with you? That would be you, by you, the way. You fucking tool, you. Well, he says that a girl sold it to him over Etsy. And for a brief moment, I'm thinking, you think that girl's Piper? You think she's been dishing out these faux ghost face masks to raise a little money? Yes, it, or and also like create confusion. Sure. You know, if they did, if the cops went back and tried to trace, oh, who's bought these masks? That would kind of create some challenges. Jake appears with that numb skull and he is in bunny ears. <laughs> I love when Brooke is like, well, I'm going to go get some wine. Audrey, don't let in the unwashed masses. Yeah, that's so good. It's just no matter what the show does, love it, don't love it, whatever you fancy, but you cannot deny its intellect. It is a very polished, well-scripted show and the lines are delivered with aplomb. Jake makes the fundamental mistake, elemental mistake, of saying, he'll be right back, 
and he leaves the Nimrod at the pool chair. We learn that Brooke's address is 1221 Sparrows Drive. Noah is able to do some backhacking, and he's able to find that these signals are coming from Brooke's house, and it's not just malware, but the killer has been able to infiltrate all of the technology and disrupt the communications. But right before Emma and Noah decide to go to the cops, Emma gets a text that says, no cops, or they will all be headline news. This is fucked up because that means the killer is either listening in live right, or just incredibly perceptive. Now a moment of silence. Well, HUD's worth more than a moment, but I was just thinking, Maggie killed Clark like Emma killed Will. Both Maggie and Emma, mother-daughter, thought they were rescuing these two. And they were, I would say, indirectly, because they didn't set the course in motion, but had they been a little bit more patient, i.e. Emma running full speed towards the trencher, and Maggie quickly unwrapping HUD from the tree, perhaps they could have lived a little longer. These women are proving rather wicked. If Kieran is going to continue to date Emma, he better watch out. So we learn that the malware cuts them off from each other. Jake decides that he's going to go check on Brooke down in the wine cellar. We basically, at this point, according to Noah, <laughs> have a survivor goal and a know-it-all sidekick. So they're basically screwed for driving headlong into this catastrophe. I love the scene where Brooke is looking at wine. I absolutely love it. It's not necessarily scary, but it definitely has a air of ominousness to it. Also, I love that when you go to a Brooke pool bash party, not only will you get a Dixie cup, but there will be a lemon wedge safely nestled on the rim of said Dixie cup. This girl, who I guess you could say is Jake's new date, she walks into the bathroom that the unwashed masses are allowed to use, and who is laying on the floor, throat slashed, a wet interloper's throat, Grayson. Grayson has his throat slashed. He is dead. And we don't care. The irony is that Grayson so badly wanted to be Fogosface. I don't think that the real, the genuine Fogosface, that's like an oxymoron, I don't think that they took kindly to that imposter attempt. So does that mean they were at the party? I don't know. Well, according to Noah, the signal for this malware is at or near Brooke's house. So it's very possible. But as everyone sees this bloody corpse, everybody hightails it out of there. This is enough to get Audrey's attention, who comes into the bathroom, sees the dead body. But before she can process it, Bogo's face appears, grabs her by the throat, pushes her up against the wall, and Audrey stares at the mask of Fogo's face and says, What are you waiting for? Now, this is your moment. What are you waiting for? That is Julie James from I Know What You Did Last Summer, which interestingly enough, the next episode of Fogo's face, season-wise, is going to be episode 11 or episode 1 of season 2. The title for that episode is I Know What You Did Last Summer. So Audrey gets stabbed and it goes to commercial break. Now we have Brooke who like walks outside, everybody's gone. She's like, I've officially hit like, what the bottom of the rock. Yep. And then as she's processing everything, Seth motherfucking Branson appears and he's staring at her through the glass door. She meanwhile has locked herself safely inside. He looks genuinely out of place. He's a little panicky and he's like, Brooke, I don't know what's going on. Something happened at the police station. I left because I knew how it would look and I immediately rushed here to seek comfort in you. 
Brooke looks sad and she looks concerned, but then she has this moment of strength where she's like, I don't trust you. And it's like Scream 4, where Hayden Penitier won't let that guy in, and I won't give away anymore. Well, it's also kind of like the door lock trick in the first Scream in that police jeep, where the killer has the keys, Nev Campbell is desperately trying to keep the locks pressed down, and it's very suspenseful. But they start playing what I call musical door locking, where Brooke has 19 doors in this home because it's a McMansion. And she just has to keep running to the next large, expensive, lavish door and locking it. Two, Seth's chagrin and embarrassment and disappointment. As soon as she locks that final door, though, the lights go black. He disappears. And she peers out through the window. Info ghost face is there. Nope. That was scary. I was like, I was unprepared. She runs into a hallway and then a garage and then a workshop inside the garage. And she climbs in to the same freezer deep freezer that she suspects her father may have put a dead body in and now knows that he put a dead body in, but it is unplugged. I guess it's not a terrible idea, except you're trapped. If for whatever reason the killer smells your fragrance, you're trapped. If you stay in the corner, you at least have a few options. But hey, it didn't work. It didn't work for Tatum in the first scream. She threw fucking beer bottles and she fought back and it didn't work well for her. She got her neck broke, but hey, this is a show, not the movie. It's a lovely fucking house, by the way. Or this whole show could have been filmed at Brooke's house, and I would have been fine with that. Now Brooke is what we call in deep freezer trouble. This is extremely goddamn claustrophobic and chilling. The killer stabs through the fridge about six times. Nails are what, about three of the times? Yeah, I mean, at least not like a deep puncture, but definitely nicks her, for sure. Gets her like in the leg, the love handle, the arm. She's bleeding. And then the fucker plugs it in. Uh-uh. Just stab me. I don't want to be frozen to death. Which is actually kind of nice because one, Fogo's face left Brooke some air holes to breathe and the cold temperature might essentially have the same effect of carterizing the wounds. Thank you, Fogo's well, face. Well, he locked her in, so oh, I'm just I know. saying. I, I don't know. think that he's anticipating her to survive. I think if I had to pick a scariest scene from this episode, finding Hud's body was very disturbing, but it wasn't scary. I think it's probably a combo of this attack on Brooke Coupled with when Noah and the final girl roll up to the house and they're looking around, they find Piper's glasses, they find a blood trail, they find her cell phone that she uses to record her podcasts. That's very, very scary stuff. That's that's what I think. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was creepy. And it reminded me of the first movie, you know, when they come up and it's all like a bloody car. Right, which is what we're getting to right now. So. Noah and Emma appear. They see a Jeep. Now, apparently Piper has been driving a Jeep for the last 24 hours. I don't know what happened to her Mini Cooper. Daisy Bell here had a great idea that maybe she's been renting vehicles. That's a good call. She is out of town, or she's from out of town. We see her glasses that are undeniably her glasses. We see enough blood to be concerned. And it looks like Piper just wanted to help. She came here to check on Brooke. And it looks like there was a scuffle, possibly a struggle. Now, this is where Noah and Emma are crossing in front of the house and around the corner, looking all serious and laser focused, holding the same pistol that we've seen before, and we know damn well that it's loaded, is Kieran. And he runs around the corner and points the gun at them. What the shitballs? What did you think was going to happen? I don't know. I was surprised. I wasn't thinking good things were going to happen. Let's put it that way, because at this point, I'm still thinking Kieran's the killer. There hasn't really been anything pointing me in another direction. And so when he comes up, 
I am just waiting for them. Like to me, they're like mice in a trap. So I, I have no clue what to expect. I was on pins and needles. Well, this is fucked up because this is where Emma has to make Kieran aware of the fact that his father is dead. Because there's a brief mention like, well, how do we know you're not the son of Brandon James? And always cool, Kieran has a good rebuttal. He's like, look, when my dad formally took me took possession of me again, there was a lot of paperwork. And I'm pretty sure that he's the only dad I got um, about that, Kieran. I know you saved my life on the lake and all, but uh, your dad's dead, bro. He was killed by faux ghost face. <gasps> no, he didn't. know. poor Kieran. I feel bad for Kieran. You felt bad for Kieran. Emma definitely feels bad for Kieran. A little history, relevant, of course. Some of these obvious things you misplace, but Kieran's dad, who is in fact HUD, he moved there from Atlanta because Kieran's mother and stepfather died in a car accident three weeks earlier. So Kieran has been at this school for three weeks and is reluctantly forced to live with his dad, HUD. Kieran was born to Clark Hudson and Mrs. Hudson. Clark left him in Atlanta in order to get support for his addiction to pain pills. The only thing we've ever heard about HUD is that he used to get loaded with Detective Rain, and he very vaguely suggests that he was not a good person. I never knew about pain pills, though, so thank Christ on a cracker fuck that I did a little bit of research on the side. But that all fits, right? They don't have a good relationship, and that explains yeah. why Clark moved away. Mm -hmm. Kieran, once again, offers the gun, and Emma rejects it. And then I love Noah here, as he's walking around the house with a fire poker or some bullshit, and he says... I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. <laughs> I will not be right back. I love it. It's meta within meta with a character who I find to be even more endearing than Randy Meeks from Scream. I totally agree. There is a bloody handprint on the glass of the door at Brooks' house. Fortunately, Kieran, Emma, and Jake, the Jake, work together to save Brooke from the freezer. They break the lock, let her out. Jake immediately starts giving her CPR. To which point she wakes up immediately. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, CPR is always a good idea. <laughs> Clever Jake. No one notices as they find Audrey that there are two survivors. Brooke is still alive. Audrey's still alive. And Jake has survived twice. And Noah's like, this is not exactly the killer's MO. But right before that, it's probably one of the greatest lines of the show. Whereas Noah is walking down the same path that Audrey walked, where that dead guy Grayson is in the bathroom. A large pool of blood has accumulated, and while Noah is walking, he sees the blood. He's getting closer and closer to it. We both laugh hysterically. Uh, maybe someone just spilled their wine. Their red, viscous, thick, blood-looking wine. <laughs> That's what I'd be telling myself, just saying. Emma is trying to get her bearings. She receives a phone call at Brooke's house. What the shit? On the landline, no doubt. What is this, 1996? Asked Jake. It's a fair question. No, it's 2015, bro. Emma is told to meet at the dock at Ren Lake. And basically, Emma's like, why don't you cut to the chase? Okay, what does cut to the chase mean? It is to get to the point without wasting time. The saying originated from early film studios' silent films. It was a favorite of, and thought to have been coined by Hal Roach Sr. Films, at the time, particularly comedies, often climaxed in chase scenes. Some inexperienced screenwriters would pad the film with unnecessary dialogue, which bored the audience and prolonged the time before the exciting chase scene. So cut to the chase means, let's get to the goddamn chase. Well, we're on the dock. Emma is desperately trying to release her mom from her restraints. Her mom is basically tied to a chair. It's very dark on the dock. 
that red light that allows ships to know that they are getting close to land is blinking. We get the big reveal. It is Snide Piper. She shows up in the faux ghost face garb and she takes off the mask and she looks fucking fantastic without those glasses. She looks serious. She looks creepy. And she looks like someone that could in fact be the evil sister. And she accuses Emma of being sexist because she thought that Branson could have only had a son. Branson, meanwhile, we know officially was in fact the fall guy. But if the interrogation room is any lingering indication, in my book, Branson is still a sly guy. We have a struggle to untie and there's some prying of the lie. But woe to the fall guy. But we'll learn about Seth in a little bit. There's a struggle. We learned that Piper came into town. She had a bone to pick because she was the half-sibling of Emma, who, as she sees it, got tossed out. And Emma got to live this privileged life at the nice school, surrounded by all of her picturesque friends. Piper also wants to exact revenge for her father getting shot to death and falling in the lake. Now, to me, that's a pretty solid motivation. Yeah, definitely. I think that in a way, it's at least equal to the gravitas behind the plot reveal with Scream. It's a, it's a very sensical explanation. We can't escape our secrets. That's what it always comes down to. And it also explains why Piper was podcasting, because she wants this story to be told. And the more, I think, prep work that she did to kind of grease the rails for this story, I think more people would be made aware of what she and her family went through. But right before Piper's about to give the death stab to Emma, because she has slashed both Emma and her mother. There's some great dialogue here between Emma and Piper. And this is where Emma says, You pretended to help me. You pretended to be my friend. And it stings when someone breaks your trust. Right, mom? My dad trusted you. And look how that turned out. Dad got shot. I got tossed. And Emma got the perfect life. Piper, I swear to you, I never meant for Brandon to get hurt. I was trying to protect him. You were trying to protect yourself. I'm surprised she didn't call Maggie a slut right then. For 20 years... You have let everyone think that my dad was the monster, but you were the monster. You're right, but they were my mistakes, not Emma's. If you want to hurt someone, hurt me. I plan on it. But I have kind of put a lot of thought and time into this, so I like to savor the moment a little bit before I slice you open. And then Emma, I get it, I get it, you hate us, but why did you kill my friends? To watch you suffer, Emma, although they did help a lot. After all, what did your BFFs do? They filmed your first time. I mean, the day that your video accidentally went viral, and I was right there to see it happen? priceless. But Piper says to Emma right before she delivers the death blow, there's still one more surprise and you'll never see it coming. Meanwhile, the frog noises sound great. Great sound effects or possibly real frogs. What do you think? Well, it is a lake and we live just by a pond and the frogs are loud as shit. Very loud. Very loud. At I night. like it though. Audrey appears, shoots Piper and she's like, the bitch talks too much. Sweet moment of triumph. But then wait. She's back! Piper falls into the lake just like her late father. But then she starts climbing up on the dock trying to rein in more carnage. But then Emma picks up the gun, headshot. Well, I think it's rather ironic that Kieran's shooting lessons with Emma may have helped with this accuracy. Right? Perhaps? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, she, mm -hmm. she says they always come back. By the way, I love Brooke's shoes that we get to see here at the end. They look like fancy vans. Yeah. But uh -huh. they're like... They're all they, black. But they come up high. They're almost like high-top boot vans. They're very, very interesting, but I like them a lot. Just as Noah predicted back in the pilot episode, where the girl, the survivor girl, is surrounded by ambulances that are taking all of her friends away. And of course, because this show is cleverer than the rest, 
Audrey calls him out about that. The podcaster was revealed to be the Lakewood slasher. Noah takes over autopsy of a crime. He was always born for this role, by the way. He totally was. One thing we're going to add, Dreamy Screamers, to the second season when we get to it, is we're going to incorporate, in addition to what our favorite scary scene is in each episode, we're going to spend oodles of time dissecting and reflecting on Noah's new podcast, which we will get to. Interestingly, Audrey, as Noah is giving a concluding monologue that's almost as important as the one that he delivers in the first episode, the pilot, Audrey has a safe in the New English Dictionary in a room. It's like a lockbox. This reminds me a little bit of the Bible and the Shawshank Redemption. Audrey has safe words. Get it? She's got a safe and it's a dictionary. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. <laughs> we learn that Audrey had been in prior correspondence with Piper. What? It's, I was shocked. It's pretty substantial. Multiple letters. And they're not using pseudonyms. It's like, hey, Audrey. Hey, Piper. What's up? How's it hanging, girl? They had been communicating for months prior to Piper's arrival in Lakewood. Also, I was listening to a podcast recently on Scream the TV series, and they were really struggling with Piper's age. They were like, well, we think she's supposed to be 25, but it's been 20 years since Brandon James was shot and fell in the lake. We know that he had a baby prior to falling in the lake, or at least the girl was pregnant at that time, Maggie. So the question is, how old is Piper? I think it makes complete sense that she's 20 years old. Yeah, 20. That's what I'm thinking as well. She's a couple of years older than these teenagers. Now, technically, if the legal drinking age in Louisiana is 21, she shouldn't have a flask. But I think that she's 20 and she's a little bit rebellious. I mean, hell, look at her outfits. She is cool to the goddamn core. But that is one fuck of a hieroglyph hanger to leave us on. What is Audrey's involvement? That's the question. Everybody else makes up. Noah and Audrey make up, Brooke and Kieran make up, and of course, Jake and Brooke make up. So things are looking pretty good, but RIP Will, RIP Riley, and RIP HUD. You will all be missed. Branson is let out of prison, and he collects his little belongings, rightfully so. What did you think of this season finale, Daisy Bell? I think we had a lot of bombs dropped. I think they did a really good job of tying a lot of things together, but then also kind of leaving us on pins and needles, asking questions about what's going to happen next season. Because the other thing, when Audrey's looking through her letters, we see these papers with, you know, names, question marks, dates, things like that. It's the papers that were stolen from the police station. Right. So it stands to reason that Audrey was the one who broke into the municipal building and the records. Right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I think that it was a very strong first season finale. I thought the pilot was very strong. And I thought every episode in between was solid to very good. This was a very, very superlative, practically immaculate first season. But just wait. Things get richer, they get rawer, and they get more murderous. Body count three. HUD hugs a tree. It hugs back with lethal glee. One boy died how he lived. Drunk, filthy, and lifeless on a bathroom floor. Piper, stabbed, shot, and submerged, resigned to a watery grave. She could podcast like a champ but earns our disapproving middle finger wave, for she chose to homicidally misbehave. Brooke, Emma, Audrey, and Maggie all sustained flesh wounds. For fresh medical updates, we will stay tuned. Time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask-wearing loons. Lifetime by Scully Boys, B-O-Y-Z. Nights Like This by Darion Javon. 
That's J-A apostrophe V-O-N. Memory by Chris Arena featuring I space O space N space A. Iona? I own a camel. <laughs> Get it? How many camels do you, you own? You do not own a camel. That's a lie. Can't Get Enough by Thrillers. Time to Say Goodbye by Pause. P-A-W-W-S. Like Othello's Pause. OJ's Pause. But with an extra W. And Quiet Day by Fort Lean. Now, lean means to be thin, like a muscular lean physique. But it's also a code name for a drink that became very popular in Houston, Texas. Also known as Scissor or Purple Drank. And lean is a drink where you have codeine and liquid form mixed with Sprite or some other sweetness, and you're drinking way too much of it all at once, and it's a good fucking time. Give me that lean now. Did Emma, Audrey, and Noah unmask this crime podcast? We see spills of blood in blood red wine. Emma shows Stone's spirit and spine as she learns of her depraved and fucked bloodline. Emma might very well still be a tad raw about her deceased half-sister, Slash podcaster, Miss Shaw. Here, we get surgical with our killer culprit unmasking. Piper is forced to pipe down once she's shot in the fucking head, which slowly colors Ren Lake a warm shade of red. Piper fucking Shaw had it coming, but she proclaims on Ren's dock that Emma will never see it coming. Dream a little scream for us, dreamy screamers, or stream a little scream for us, streaming screamers. All of Scream the TV series is currently available on Netflix. Can you spot the killer's brand? Her cold knife clutched her blood red hand. This initial, practically immaculate season has come to a dignified end. Pernicious Piper has, for her last time, pressed send. Emma and Maggie, their ears to snide Piper, did lend. But with the damage committed, on these ladies' bodies, for at least a while, they'll convalesce on the mend. Piper proved more a holy crazy half-sister than a friend, and this unmasking and familial attacking on this eponymous dock will undoubtedly trend. The Lakewood Slasher may be headshot, bloodied, drowned, and dead, but who attacked Piper in that abandoned garage and broke her forehead skin? Who do you think? We don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I need to watch. There was a tremendous reveal, but questions still linger, past the fading reflections on Lake Wren. Was it Piper who, at the Lakewood County Municipal Records Evidence Room, did break in? No, it was Audrey. What the fuck will befall Brooke's daddy, Quinn? As one chapter concluded, a new, under the umbrella of season two, will soon begin. So prepare yourself for fresh secrets, slayings, and sin. Can all of these murders on Snide Piper we pin, or was her convenient confession and sordid sinister story merely a spin? Season 2 is going to be a fun fucking ride, I assure you. It is 12 episodes long, plus a 90-minute little Halloween special. That will be coming soon, but because this season was so good, it earns a proper wrap-up and recapitulation, which will be our next episode, serving as a bridge between two seasons. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next season, chapter, and new castmates coming. Bogo's face, fresh wound wrap up. Final thoughts on Lakewood's final kids. Your host, the Noah Foster imposter, falsetto prophet, and co-host, Daisy, you'll meet me in Hell Bell, Red Devil, out. <laughs>